thing. It is another wonderful example of God's deliverance when the odds were so against it. Um, and we heard last week about Jonathan and his armour bearer. Two men, one sword between them, going up to to the Philistine army and uh, God gave them a fantastic victory. And as you know, uh, this is about victory too that God gave to David and the Israelites. And uh, I've had time to think and dwell on this and I'm I'm a bit emotional <laughs> because of what we're going through um, it's sort of very relevant um, we're facing our Goliath and some of you may be as well so forgive me if I get a bit choked uh, I'll try not to But it all takes place in um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to read, not going to read all of it, it's quite a long passage. So I'm going to read some of it, just to remind us of the the text and, and what was going on. And I'll put it into a little bit of context in a minute. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, that's nine foot six inches. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had greaves of bronze upon his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then we get the bit where Jesse, the father of David, sends him to check on how his three brothers are in the army are doing and to take some goodies to them and come back and and give him a report. Uh, I pick it up at uh, a point where um, Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. 
As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. No tax. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Then his brothers rip him off a bit for coming and, and uh, wanting to sort of look at the blood and gore and whatever. But when the words which David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Paul, let, man, let no man's heart fail him, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when they came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and killed him. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumphilistine shall be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then the Lord clothed David with his armour. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword over his armour, and he tried in vain to go, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not used to them. And David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag or wallet. His sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. And then the Philistine rants and raves to David and David rants and raves back to the Philistine and says, who do you think you are? And they have a little, little bit of a wordy wordy verbals. Then... When the Philistine fine, sorry, let's try it again. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell to his face on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. I'll leave it there. We've got the gist. I have a stone here. <laughs> it's nothing like the one David used because it's, a, it's a, just a very awkward little um, shape, but it apparently came from where David picked up his stones. It was given to me by Heather. I don't know where it was, but anyway. Hmm. 
So that's the situation. Now the Philistines were gathered at a place called Soko, which belongs to Judah. That's the first point. There are a lot of points to draw out of this story that I want, want to apply to now as well as historically and geographically to then. And this is the first point. They were in a place that didn't really belong to them. The Bible says it belonged to Judah. And uh, Brian here has very kindly done me a map. I felt last week that the map up there was very useful. So if I press the right button, because I'm hopeless to this sort of thing, it doesn't do anything. Yay! So let me put it geographically where it was and what was going on. Joshua, as you know, led the people from the wilderness across Jordan into the promised land and there was conquests um, to rid the land of the peoples and tribes that lived there and give the land over to Israel. And uh, the land was divided up into tribal area, the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know this is taking place in the land that was ascribed to Judah. And there it is. Is the little red knob. There it is. You can see Judah there. Well, their land went from the Mediterranean. See, you see Ashdod and all, all around there. See Gath. I'm not holding it very still. Right round to Jerusalem. It was a big chunk of land in there that was Judah's. But the problem was the conquest wasn't complete. When Joshua um, overthrew the tribes that God told him to, uh, it wasn't a completed job, very sadly. And in this area, um, along by the Mediterranean, lived some people known as the Anakim. And they were a giant race. They were huge. They lived in other areas as well. And in many areas, I can give you a scripture this. I've got it here somewhere. Um, let's turn this up. In, in many of Israel, in many areas of, of the Promised Land, they did defeat the Anakim. But in this area they didn't. Here we are, <coughs> Joshua eleven twenty one. Joshua at that time wiped out the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, Anab, and all the hill country of Judah, and from the hill country of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities, there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. What a sad thing, because here they are, approximately 500 years later, and here's Goliath of Gath. He's an Anakim. He's a giant. He's related to those who were left. And here he is turning up and the same with the Philistines. Uh, Brian shared last week about how strong the Philistines were and how many soldiers and chariots they had. 
and Judah, when they took possession of their land, they had to sort of mop up, really, who was left from the conquest. And what was left, apart from these Anakim, was also the Philistine. This area um, around um, Ashdod, Joppa, around there, Gath, all that area was known as Philistia. And that's because it's where the Philistines lived. And they tried to wipe them out. And in the hill country area, up in the hills, they were very successful. But in the plains, in the lowlands, by the coasts and round there, they couldn't because they had chariots of iron. And they just didn't have the weaponry to overcome that strength of army at the time. Chariots are not a lot of good in the hill country, but they're very good on, on, on the land. So uh, that's the situation. So here we have the Philistines still strong and still have some Anakim as their trump card. So that, that's the situation geographically. And this area of land, incidentally, is still being fought over today. It's not called Philistia anymore. It's called Palestine. It's the Gaza Strip. We're very familiar with that. Only this week it's been in the news yet again because the, 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 some of the Palestinians are lobbying rockets into Israel and Israel are retaliating and that's been going on for many, many years. Um, and uh, there's the dispute over who should have the land or not. It's still been going on and Israel is saying it's our land and the Palestinians are saying no, it's not at ours. Nothing's changed. It was going on in David's day. And the Philistines here in this time want the land. And Judah is saying, no way, God has given us this land. So that's the situation. You see, it's a very difficult and unwise thing to cohabit with the enemy. Was that what was going on? We had Judah and the Philistines living together. Cohabiting with the enemy will do two things really. It will mean compromise and it will mean an uneasy peace because you'll be watching, watching, watching all the time what the enemy going to do because sooner or later the enemy's going to get up and zop you one. The enemy plays dirty. We don't know how long they'd had any peace in this area of Israel cohabiting with the Philistines. Probably they had for some time until the Philistines got together and got enough people and whatever to start attacking again. The Bible tells us, be not mismated with unbelievers, doesn't it? Dark and light, do not dwell together. Good and bad, do not coexist. There's going to be trouble. And here we are, we have trouble right here, and that's the situation. Now it was very traditional in tribal warfare to be represented by a champion. Um, from each side. What you did, each side would offer up a person who would represent them, a champion. And uh, it was a very risky business because these two champions would have a duel. And uh, if your champion won, then their army, their people, would be your slaves. They would capitulate and serve you. But if their champion won, you would have to capitulate and serve them. That was a, quite a traditional way of settling tribal disputes, but it was so risky. But it did save time, 
it saved a lot of bloodshed, all sorts of things. You can see the advantage of it, but you can see the disadvantage. But here we have that situation. The Philistines are putting up a champion. It's their ace. It's their trump card. He's nine foot six. You know, he's a great man, a man of war, with huge armour. He's armed to the teeth. Um, ah, he's powerful. And here he is. He's their champion. Goliath of Gath and Anakim. A mere six foot, nine foot six giant. Who would be man enough to face him? And we read that nobody, nobody in the Israelite army was man enough. It should have been Saul. Saul was the leader of the people. He was also the biggest. If you remember, when he was selected, he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He was quite a big man himself, Saul. But he wasn't big enough to face Goliath. And nobody was. They were full of fear. They were absolutely terrified. So that's the situation, and it's a bit of a stalemate, because this went on for 40 days. That's the significance, isn't it? 40 days. Remember Jesus and his fight with the devil before he started his ministry? 40 days was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Well, here we have another 40 days. Israel being tempted by Goliath. Come and fight me. But along comes this little guy, David. We like this story because we always like the little guys having victory over the big guys, don't we? But along came David who very quickly assessed the situation. He heard what was going on. And uh, he decided, I can accept this challenge, which of course was crazy. Well, we know it isn't because we know the end of the story, but it is crazy that this mere lad should have the guts to take on this huge, giant man of war. That He had no chance. He had no chance. Just like Jonathan and the armour-bearer last week, didn't have a chance. But God. But God. And we know that God gives David the victory. This is, I've already said, another example of God's fantastic deliverance against all odds. Actually, um, God had already prepared David for this encounter. Although David, of course, didn't know it. Isn't it typical of God, actually, that we find sometimes we get there and God's gone before us? That, that God's provided something. We, wow, how did God know I would need that then? Fantastic. Um, when was it? When did you move, Carol? When did you move? Right. Carol gave us a bed. We needed a bed for our spare room. We didn't have one because Pat's mum had a big old thing that we had to get rid of. Um, and she gave us a bed. It happened to be an electric bed that goes up and down. Right now, that bed's just what Pat needs. <laughs> an example of God providing, God going before. We had no idea. We could use it dead flat as an ordinary guest bed and we have done. But now, well... Do you see the sort of thing? We should never be surprised, really. Um, because uh, we, we read, don't we, that what, what no ear has heard and no eye has seen, what no heart has conceived, what God has prepared beforehand, 
And in Ephesians we read, don't we, that we are God's workmanship prepared beforehand for good works to do. So God prepares beforehand. And he did this with David. Um, You see, David had uh, learned skills through dealing with lions and bears. That's fantastic enough. But he had had the skills, he had learned them because he was a good shepherd and protected his sheep and wouldn't let lions and bears come and grab them. And if they did, he'd go after them. And he had learned how to get the sheep back from the lion and the, la- and the bear. So here he is with these skills ready to, li- to deliver Israel from the Philistine army. To David, Goliath wasn't any different to a lion or a bear. He saw him in the same way and he applied what he had learned. And I just want to pick up three little points here. David had three remarkable qualities, and he had more than three, but I want to pick out three. First of all, he had experience, we might use the word testimony today, of God's power and goodness and grace. Um, And that sort of qualified him. His experience and testimony qualified him. And it led him to be a person of faith. He had faith. He actually said, the battle is the Lord's. And I'm sure he would have said that every time he went after a lion or a bear. The battle is the Lord's. But he still had to do his bit. If the battle is the Lord's, it doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. We are still engaged in the fight. And David was. So he had experience and he had testimony and he had faith and that led to fearlessness or courage. He was fearless. He put back the taunts of Goliath to him. He didn't receive them. He didn't let Goliath's um, taunts about grinding up his bones and feeding him to the birds of the air and all that phase him at all. He said, oh no, 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 I'm going to do that to you actually. He gave it back. He didn't receive those lies, those taunts. With his experience and faith and courage or fearlessness. And sometimes, you know, the enemy can seem too big the circumstances too difficult the mountain just too high Jesus said didn't he a mustard seed of faith will do it's the quality not the quantity but the quality of faith do you know what gives the enemy so much ground in our lives what stops us from being victorious Lack of faith, or give it another term, unbelief. Unbelief and fear. How many times do we read in the word, do not fear, do not be afraid, I am with you, do not fear. We say it's 365, isn't it, Alec? Or 366, did you say the other day? 
Right, okay. One for every day of the year. Yeah. Unbelief and fear are crippling. They, they reduce us to a shivering wreck. But faith and courage, on the other hand, are enabling, are empowering and motivating. And we see it here. We saw it last Sunday as Brian spoke to us about um, Jonathan, his armour bearer. We see it today with David. So here he is, full of faith and courage, offering to take on this great giant Goliath. Then a real funny thing happens. Saul decides he's going to do his bit now. It's very much in Saul's interest that David actually does defeat Goliath, um, although he's got no faith in it whatsoever. But he does his bit, and he says, well, look, at least if you're going, please put on the armour. So he puts his armour on David. Now, David's a, a, a young lad, Saul is big, and I, I just can't imagine what David would have looked like wearing Saul's armour. <laughs> But it was totally useless. Poor old David just couldn't move. He just said he could not go. It was in vain that he brought it. This armour did not fit him. It weighed him down. He couldn't move in it. There is no way he could approach Goliath with Saul's armour. It must have looked a a sorry and a a funny sight. So, of course, he takes it off. He says, there's no way I can use this. Thank you very much. And he relies on his own equipment, his tried and trusted staff and his tried and trusted sling. That's all he knew, but that had been sufficient for him time and again. So here's some points about this, where we got to. First of all, we can get lots and lots of saws giving us lots and lots of well-meaning advice and help. But we must actually be very careful and decide how we're going to do it, how God wants us to do the battle in in our circumstances, and not try and wear somebody else's armour or do what they did. We're all unique. Pat and I have been watching some amazing um, testimonies of remarkable healings uh, recently. And we've looked at about um, seven or eight or nine, is it? And they're all different. They're all different. They are all, of course, totally dependent on God. But the way their healing happened was different. And you can't model yourself and say, oh, I'll do it this way. No, I'll do it that way. That worked for them. That's what I'll do. We're different. We're unique whatever the well-meaning and advice and help is. And whilst we all have some common armoury, we're all equipped, aren't we, with the armour of God, of course. There are some things we all have. Um, What one person did in his fight may not be the way we should do it. Okay. And then the next point is, so what equipment then do we have for our fight. What equipment do we have? Last, no, it was two weeks ago, um, the children, the, our oldest youngsters, what are they called? The older ones? Kids' own? No, that's the youngest one. Pardon? Small group six. Wow. Well, they, they took 
took out, um, well, very involved in, in our in our meeting, and they were showing what could be done with a stick. They remind us that Moses had a stick and walloped the sea, and it parted. So what have we got? This is a question. What have we got? What do we fight with? Spirits? Holy Spirit? God's Word? Which Word? This one? And this one. The, the Logos Word. And we have words that are given to us, or we hear God saying and speaking to us, um, which we feel we have to weigh and discern, but which we feel are relevant and right. So we have the Word of God, yes? Anything else? Friendship, yes, thank you. Yeah, we've already had a testimony from Carol today, thanking people for praying. I want to tell you, for Pat and I, there are people praying for her all over the world. Hundreds we know of. Um, it's just amazing how many people uh, have, have committed themselves to, to pray for her and for us. Absolutely amazing. So we have the fellowship of believers, very powerful and very strong. Anything else somebody said? Faith? Faith. Thank you. Faith. Well, I'll tell you my little list because we're coming to, toward the end. We've got the armour of God, which I've said. Faith as opposed to unbelief. I can tell you we have that too. Remember the guy that said to, to Jesus, he said, do you believe? I do believe, but help my unbelief. Okay, <laughs> but our faith should outweigh our unbelief. They could be equal, and we don't go anywhere. The unbelief could be more, and we don't. We lose the battle. Faith should be in the ascendancy. We should have more faith than unbelief, and we should try and deal with unbelief when we recognise it. Um, so yes, and courage as opposed to fear. Do you know we can be fearful? We can be afraid. Fear is a very real emotion. Sometimes fear is right, you know. I look before I cross the road, because otherwise I might get run over. Well, sorry, I didn't mean that's a bad example. Sorry, Brian. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there are, there's a natural, but then there's the fear that isn't, you know. Brain cancer is a fearful thing. Courage, on the other hand, is wonderful. Courage. Hope. The courage and hope we have in God and faith. Prayer. Praying. Our prayers, your prayers. Fasting. Testimony of what, who God is in our lives. Pat and I, we know a lot about God and what he's done. Remarkable things. That gives us faith, like David, for what he's going to do now. Prophecy. What we said, God's word. The written word, prophetic word. We've had some wonderful prophetic words from people. God isn't finished with us yet. There's things for us to do. This is not unto death. 
breaking bread. The blood of Jesus. Wow. I think Keith reminded us last week that he'd seen times when people have broken bread and just got healed by doing that. Pat and I are actually breaking bread every day. Fellowship, you know. We need each other. We need you right now. Maybe you might be sometime you need us, but we need each other in the body of Christ. We do. Praise and worship. Excuse me. Praise and worship. We're not stopping praising and worshipping God. He's as good as he ever has been. He hasn't changed, not for a second. Praise and worship is Satan defeating. We've been praising God today. The Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit in us and with us. We have got so much going for us. So we should have faith and we should have courage and hope. We have all this equipment and we're using it right now. So let me just um, recap. The fight, the fight is up front and personal. If you read Ephesians 6 about the armour of God, Paul, Paul says we are not contending against flesh and blood. We are contending against the spiritual forces. It's a spiritual thing. And I have to tell you that the word contending is wrestling. It's wrestling. Wrestling is one of the closest forms of combat there is. You can't get closer to your enemy when you're wrestling them. You're grappling with them. And the object of a wrestling match is to knock your opponent down on the ground by a strong hold and hold him down on the ground to submission by a strong hold. Um, We are told, aren't we, that our... Our weapons are spiritual to, um, to destroy strongholds, literally to overthrow fortresses. And in a wrestling match, the object is to throw over, overthrow, throw your opponent. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the armour of God that you can stand. You can stand and not fall down. If a soldier who has armour on falls down, actually it's quite difficult to get up. Anyway, um, so it's a, it's a close encounter, the fight we're in. We feel that. We feel it's very close. And it was the same with David. When David went to front, confront Goliath, what did he do? Well, he stood at a safe distance and tiptoed around so he wouldn't be too conspicuous. And No, he didn't. He ran. He ran towards him. He ran up to him straight, straight away. He, he didn't hold back. He ran towards him and he slung his sling. I have to tell you that you've got to be pretty close for a sling to be effective. Okay, he wasn't grappling with him arm to arm, but he would have been very close to him indeed. For a stone from a sling to be effective, you've got to be in close range. If you're too far away, it will veer off and it will lose power. But if you're close to a stone being slung, that's when it hurts. So he would have been close, certainly well within range of Goliath's spear and javelin. He ran and embraced the enemy. 
So, the battle is the Lord's. Our battle is the Lord's. Our battle, all of us, is the Lord's. We have the Lord. We have a champion. Okay, we have our champion. His name is not Goliath. His name is Jesus, <laughs> who has gone and secured the victory. It's won. Okay, thank you, Keith, for what you shared just now. It's won. It's been done at Calvary. Okay? We have to mop up, but we still have to do our bit in the battle. We do not sit back and say, Christ did it all. No, we're in it. We know we are. Okay, faith without works is dead. We've got to get up and use our faith and do the things. Okay, so the battle is the Lord's, but we do our bit. We have an enemy who can seem like a giant and a Goliath. Have you got any Goliaths in your life at the moment? We've got one, as you know. Have you got one? A Goliath who can mock the truth. And tell us lies, because that's what the enemy does. He tells lies, he accuses us. His name is, is Diabolos. Diabolic, it's diabolical, it's the word. He's accusing us all the time and telling lies to us and about us. He's saying to God, we're not much cop, they're no good. But it's a lie, okay? In Jesus we are. But only in Jesus. Does the enemy occupy any of your territory right now? Are you cohabiting? Are you using your spiritual weapons to overthrow the stronghold that may be in your life? There may be a little area, big area, a little area, where the enemy has a little hold or stronghold. We have the weapons to overthrow him. We have a champion who's gone before. We have spiritual armour. We have everything that allows God to do the impossible. In what seems impossible, God can do it. He can do it. Can't he, darling? He's going to. Lord bless you. That's it. That's it.